Um, so we're currently in the book of Acts. We're in a series that we've taglined church as it should be um, and just working our way through the book of Acts uh, following the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus where he then sent his Holy Spirit uh, in power on the believers that we've read about through Acts 1, Acts 2. Uh, we're in Acts 4 today, right at the end of uh, the chapter 4. So far within this chapter, uh, we've seen Peter and John before the religious leaders. They've been arrested. They were thrown into jail and then questioned. Uh, we've seen Peter courageously respond, full of the Spirit, uh, to them, sharing the gospel with them. And then we see their release where we find the believers joining together again in prayer and in the place they're meeting in, having just prayed, shaken by God through his spirit. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32, we'll read from there. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need." Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Bible. Lord, for the life-giving power it has. Lord, thank you that your word is alive and at work in us as believers. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us today, Lord? Would you speak to me, speak to each person in this room? Would you pour your Spirit out on us again? Lord, we've read and, and seen and heard of the way you poured out your Spirit on this early church. Lord, we long for this kind of culture, this sort of encounter with you, this sort of life full of the Spirit. So come and teach us today. Come and speak to us today. Lord, and would you equip us for every good work, full of your spirit, for your glory, both in here in Crawley and beyond, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we've tagged this uh, teaching series, Church As It Should Be. And this doesn't mean that we copycat everything that we read in, um, in this book, but it does mean that we read it we learn from it, we contextualize it, and we apply it and live it out. What we're trying to do is ensure that 2,000 years on from where these first century Jews uh, believers, that we are then aligning ourselves to the people God has called us to be, that we're living in the way that God calls us to live, with the foundations that Jesus has been building his church on over the last 2,000 years. Being a part of this local church family, a loving, encouraging, supportive family, a community so generous with time, with their energy and serving one another, with our money, 
It's a genuine privilege uh, for me to be a part of the leadership team, to be a pastor here alongside Steve, Richard, Chris, Dave, Justin. And it's as part of this family that we've known God's goodness through the likes of you, your support and your encouragement for us. Again, as a family with four young children, your support, your care for us, your encouragement for us. It's so wonderful. And again, it's, it's the kind of foundations, it's the kind of culture that we see through this early church. It's the kind of culture and behaviors that we see Paul call us to through his letters in the New Testament. It's the kind of life Jesus has called us to lead. And it's in this way that we live that we see the character of God at work through us. Those who are full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He is God in us. We as a family have got so many uh, stories of God's goodness, God's provision, God's care and support for us. Again, at times where we've had, just had babies, the, the care in meals provided for us, the gifts you've given. We're so grateful to all of you. Can I encourage you? Keep going with that. There'll be many in this room. Hands up who's been blessed by, by this church family through times of uh, struggle, through times of need. I'm sure that's pretty much all of you. Again, if you're new here today, maybe that's not you yet, but I'd encourage you, get stuck in with this church family. You'll be blessed You'll bless us. I remember stories from uh, when I was just going off to uni. Again, I grew up in this church. My mum and dad um, brought me up in this church, brought me up in a Christian home, great foundations. Um, and I, I remember when I went off to uni, uh, again, a, a time of massive transition, a time of questions and lots of things going on. I remember faithful people in this church giving me money, praying for me regularly. I remember an uh, instance where I received a, a card and a uh, go with God's um, blessing and just enough money to buy a bike for me to get around at university. Again, a real practical need I had, but the faithfulness and the generosity of a loving church. Again, when I was at university, we had some kids pastors there over from Australia uh, who were just going back to Australia and sold their car it was just before Amy and I were getting married and looking at honeymoons and that sort of thing. And they just felt called by God to gift us some money uh, that in turn paid for our honeymoon. Again, something we were crying out for and praying, God, how do, we, how do we afford to get married? How do we afford to celebrate with a honeymoon? And again, God's faithfulness over us. Just a year or so ago, um, a guy that I barely knew, um, just in speaking through my work with Newground, um, a guy that uh, that was also serving with New Grounds, um, recently lost his wife. Um, and I was just sharing a bit of our story, our housing situation that some of you will know um, was, was a bit more tricky than it is now. Um, we're in a one, one and a half bedroom house. Um, Amy and I were sleeping on a corner sofa um, for a, a good few months. And, and I was just sharing some of our story. Um, and it was around Christmas time. He gave me a Christmas card with a cheque for 500 pounds in and said, it broke my heart to hear that you and your wife couldn't sleep next to each other in a bed. Go and buy yourself either a bed or a, a sofa bed, something like that. So again, just the faithfulness of God, a provider. Again, that, that's not really something we were, we were crying out for, um, but just a compassionate heart. Um, 
These are stories I'm sure many of us will have. Again, just two weeks ago, we were blessed by a couple within this church, so thankful, and they just, they just felt, they actually asked me, uh, how are your finances doing? I said, oh yeah, they're, they're all right, young family, lots of bills, all that sort of stuff, and, and just gifted us money, um, and said, go and treat yourselves. Go and treat yourselves, go and have a meal out, or spend something, some time with the family. Again, a real blessing to us, and again, this, this happens for so many of us through the uh, throughout our time uh, together and so being supported in prayer and encouragement. So how do these sort of stories happen? How, why is it that people would do such a thing as to give away so generously? It's no coincidence that out of our cry and prayer to God for provision, for encouragement, for need, that he speaks to others about how they can support and uphold us that they can be generous again at times where we've been able to be generous and give to others with our time, with our money, with our energy, with our serving. And it's this sort of community that we find in the book of Acts, just in this, um, this passage that we've read that runs very similarly to that just a couple of chapters back in Acts 2, where we see the, the community of believers sharing everything, not claiming anything to be their own. We find right at the beginning, um, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. We find this theme referenced throughout uh, the New Testament. We find the, the foundation of it tied throughout the Bible, community being of one heart and mind, living in unity together. In the early church, we find a community of believers in Jerusalem who regularly, constantly, every day, were together in prayer and worship, breaking bread in one another's homes. There was a unity that was so foundational that it allowed fruitfulness and flourishing, which led to kingdom growth. It's an enabling culture where others can come in from outside and experience this generosity with relationship, with fellowship. Again, the same kinds of things we're trying to be here as a church. And it's within this kind of community of believers that we find the foundations for our lives as followers of Jesus within this local church that get to be played out across Crawley and beyond. Jesus prays um, to his father just before he, he uh, was tried and crucified. He prayed this in John 17. I pray that they, talking about all those who believe, will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. There's something about this unity, this oneness, that reflects to those outside of Christ currently the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God. So what does this oneness look like for us? As believers, we are one in heart and mind because of Jesus. We are built and centralized around Jesus and the gospel. We are united because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. There's this spirit of unity that is alive and at work in us. As we see in the previous uh, verse to this chapter, where it says, after they prayed, the place 
where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It then goes on to the passage we've got. All the believers were one in heart and mind. The Spirit enables this unity in us. It's not something we can force. It's not something we can uh, go about doing in our own strength. It's something that's enabled by the Spirit. Now, there's three key qualities that help us identify this early church community that I just want to pick out on for a moment. Uh, Firstly, it's their devotion. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to breaking bread. They were also devoted to one another in fellowship. We're to devote ourselves both spiritually and relationally to God and to others. Our mission here is to love Jesus, to love one another, and to love cruelly. We only achieve this when we devote ourselves to these things. Second thing we notice, uh, particularly in this passage and throughout the book of Acts, is the regularity of their uh, being together. You're closest with those you spend the most time with. My best friend, closest friend is my wife, Amy, who I see lots. I have other, other friends who I see uh, once or twice a year. Again, still great friends, but, but not that closest, closeness with them but I still dearly love them. The early church were meeting together daily. They were in each other's homes. They were sharing meals together. They were out and about together, proclaiming the gospel, living out the gospel. And then thirdly, we've got generosity. It's out of a heart of compassion. Again, the stories I shared, it's out of people having compassion on us that caused them to give so generously to us. We find in our passage today that the believers were selfless with their money and their possessions. They shared everything they had and sold land and houses to be distributed to anyone who had needs. They shared everything they had and sold land and houses to be distributed where there was need. Again, that's a culture um, that we love to see at work, that we do see at work so uh, generously in this Society, it's something so countercultural, where we build our own empire, where we, we, uh, we shape our own houses and our homes and our possessions. We hold them so tightly often. And again, we see such a contrast within this early church. It's on this third point of generosity that I just want to take the next few minutes to talk again. Again, we've sung a lot this morning about our identity in Christ, about a loving Heavenly Father And it's only out of our security in this identity as sons and daughters of our Father God, who, by the way, has all things at his disposal. It's only when we are secure as children of God that we can confidently give away generously beyond what's comfortable, sacrificially, and beyond what's manageable. It's out of a belief that he is who he says he is, and that he is always faithful, never failing, that he cares for us, that in him we lack nothing. It's only out of these truths that he is faithful to provide. He's the one who has always provided. Matthew 6 teaches us, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? We have no need outside of God. All we need 
is God. All we need is found in God who can and does and will always provide for us. He can meet every need. No amount of food, drink, shelter, protection, clothes, jobs, where we need relationships and friendship, love, affection, where we need joy, where we need this peace we've been praying and asking God to release over us this morning, where we need wisdom, freedom, where we lack in those areas. He's the one who can provide for all. When we not only know that to be true, but live in a way that lines up to it, only then can we flourish as this true community that he's called us to be. This isn't a prosperity gospel. This is the gospel that acknowledges our need for Jesus above all else. The gospel we accept requires a death to ourselves and a choice to live for Christ. Jesus tells us in Luke 16, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We find God is a jealous God. He doesn't want any exceptions. It's not you can have me, but I want control of my finances. It's not you can have me, but I'm going to keep that relationship that's not quite right for me. It's not you can have me, but I'm keeping my Friday nights. It's not you can have me, but that person really gets me mad. There's no you can have me, but when it comes to following Jesus. We don't get to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and keep things to ourselves. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. To the one who offers us fullness of life, life in abundance, who knows the very best for us, why would we choose any other way? When we put our trust in him, and I mean trust in him, without doubt or question that he is who he says he is, it's within that security that we get to enjoy this fullness of life and freedom from these things. Trust requires faith. Faith is unseen. We're called to live by faith and not by sight. That's not easy. I've been really challenged over the past couple of weeks. It's the right way to live. It's about being a part of a different kind of community. It's countercultural. It's the upside down kingdom we often talk about. It's so different to what we see around us in the world. We get to model something as a church community where we hold one another up, where we encourage and love one another, and where we support those in need. Philippians 2 gives us a great uh, model for this. Paul um, writing to the church in Philippi. says this, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Again, that theme of oneness in heart and mind. Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Again, we can read these things, we can say, yeah, that, that sounds good. There's a step from saying that and living out in a way that it's a real challenge. It feels completely unnatural so often to us. I live for me. We live in an I world, a me world. And it's only when we live in this way, with these values, 
the value of others before ourselves, that this community works in the way. And it's only when all of us play our part in that that this community is enabled to flourish. It's only when I can give to you and you can give to me and therefore I'm, I'm more committed to your needs than I am to my own and you're more committed to my needs than I am to yours. No? You go what I'm saying. It's not something we like in the culture we live in. We like to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-fulfilled. We like to have it all together, to be sorted in life. It's in this kind of mindset that we find ourselves most challenged to live in line with the Word of God. So what are the things that draw us away from this kind of living? Again, it's selfishness, self-reliance. But we've died to ourselves. Why would we need to live in such a way that sustains ourselves? Are we not so much more valuable than the birds, than the plants, than the trees around? And yet God cares for them. We have a greater purpose in life. It's about more than us. It's about Jesus and it's about others. It's never about us. And yet within a life that loves Jesus and loves others above ourselves, we find all our desires met, all our needs met by God and by one another. Have you ever wondered why sacrifice is so difficult, why giving sacrificially of ourselves is so difficult? It's because it requires something of us that often we don't want to give. It requires a lot of us. We deprive ourselves in order that others might be blessed, that others might flourish. It's a part of our worship for the one who sacrificed all for us, the one who humbled himself, who stepped down to earth. God made man and humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. It's in this way that we're called to live, to lay down our lives, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we died to ourselves. We died to living for me. And we stepped into a greater way of living, living for Jesus. Jesus teaches us how to live. The Bible teaches us of these one anothering passages that mean that we become less and others become more. And within that community, we hold one another up. There's no lack in God. Galatians 2:20 says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Sharing is caring. Giving is living. It's the life we're called to lead. Verse 32, they shared everything they had. Verse 34, they brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. There's a difference between sharing and giving, but both require sacrifice, selflessness, and a generous heart. When we give away, we give of ourselves. With our money goes our heart. So what happens when we live this way? From this passage today, we see the gospel is shared. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We see that God's grace abounds and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. What would that look like for us? What does that mean for us today? The gospel is shared, grace abounds in all of us, through all of us, and we see no needy person among us. 
There will be needy people among us. I have needs, you have needs. God can fulfill them all, and so often he chooses to fulfill them through each of us. It's this one-anothering again. So what needs to happen in order for, this, uh, for us to flourish in this sort of community? If we go back to Matthew 6, uh, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? We've already read, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? We have a heavenly Father who sees us as much more valuable than the birds of the air that he provides for. At the end of that chapter, it says... Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Again, just being real with you this morning, I've left my family at home this morning. I've got our daughter, Phoebe, is, is unwell. Um, I think they've called an ambulance and just to get her checked over, she's been sick. And again, that causes concern in me. That can cause me to worry. Again, when I choose to live by faith and not by sight, I'm trusting in a God who I know to be true because I believe it. But I have to line up the way I live, the way I think in such a way. With our finances, where I think, God, I really want to give, but I can't do them. The maths don't work. What am I going to choose? Am I going to live by faith or am I going to live by what I can see in front of me? Real challenges. Jesus came to bring freedom. Again, we've sung that this morning. He's come to bring freedom from the worry of money, freedom from a love of money, freedom from self-reliance, self-sufficiency. They're burdens that we carry it's not the right way for us to live. As a church, we're not after your money. God's not after your money. He's after your heart. The Bible teaches us that when we give, we give to God. Our passage today shows that they laid down their offerings at the apostles' feet. And this is stewarded and distributed to those who have need. This is, uh, enables the gospel to continue to be proclaimed. Within this local church, we are led by a team of elders. We also have three amazing trustees and an ops director, Tim, who steward our church finances, who look at it, who budget well, who care for it. From your sacrificial giving to this church, when we give of our finances, we're giving to God and practically that's facilitated through this local church, laid at the feet of the elders. When you give to this local church, your money goes towards supporting the ministries of this church. Our mission locally and across the world, it supports the church staff team. It goes towards supporting the ongoing running costs of church administration, legal bits, insurances. 
And we give away from what we have. We give to new ground and to other people and places, including giving into our community hardship fund that we use to help those in need within this local church family. As a church, we have two businesses, the Carrie Center, this building that we run as a community and an event space and revive our amazing town center charity shop and cafe with such amazing opportunities in both to love and serve our local community as well as to provide income that's gifted back to the church, again, to enable the ministries of the church. Many of us within the church also give to other things, to local charities, national charities, international charities. We've got many of us that support uh, Street Life, a child sponsorship program uh, through our relationship with those in Zambia, Joseph and Lillian, and yeah, many more of us give elsewhere. I just want to invite Nathan Blackburn up. Uh, he's going to come and sing a song that he wrote um, probably a few years back now with a, just a, a real, really to emphasize the, um, the things we've been talking about today. I want to invite us to respond to this passage. I trust God will have been speaking to you, challenging you. He doesn't leave us as we are. We trust the Holy Spirit to speak through his word. So there's three questions I want us to ask ourselves this morning. Question one, what can I give? Question two, what can I share? Question three, what can I do? What can I give? For some in this room, the answer to that question will be, I want to give my life to Jesus. If you've not yet given your life to Jesus and you want to do that, there's an opportunity for you this morning to respond. For others, we'll recognize this is a financial uh, or materialistic question. It's not to diminish what we're already giving, sharing or doing. We're a hugely generous church and for that we're so thankful to God for his provision and to you for your giving. But we've got a vision here that outweighs our current resources. And so it's right that we ask ourselves, what can we give? What can we share? What can we do? What can we give that would allow others to flourish? To see no needy persons among us. What a vision for a local church that would be. What a community it would be to live in where we see no, no, no need. No need among us. And what a testament that is to those around us who look in and see. What can we share? What have I got in my hands? What are the skills God's given me? What are the things God's given me? Can I open up my home? Can I invite that person, this person around for a meal? Can I invite my neighbours around? Can I share something of God's goodness that I've been given? What can I do? How can I serve? What have I got in my house? What have we got in this house? Again, it's a question for us as a church together, but there's a personal and individual response within that. This may also be the point that we realise we need to pray. Let's hope it is things we've challenged this morning, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, selfishness, love of money, worry of money, 
These aren't things we're meant to do on our own. They're not things we're meant to carry. We can lay them down at the foot of the cross. Can I invite you to stand with those three questions behind, behind me? Just, just look at them. Holy Spirit, we invite you now. Come and speak to us, I pray. We want to hear from you. We're just going to spend a moment. I want the Holy Spirit, I expect the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. We want to wholeheartedly, open-heartedly ask these questions of ourselves. What can I give? What can I share? What can I do? What can we bring before you in worship? What can we offer to you, the one who's given all for us? Lord Jesus, as you took up the cross to take our place, what a generous heart. It still blows my mind that you would do that for me. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, would step down from heaven, would become man, would live life on this earth. A sinless life. And would choose willingly to die for my sin, for your sin. If you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, now's an opportunity. The Bible talks about repentance. talks about us acknowledging our own sin, where we fall short of living up to the standards that God has for us. It's where we say, sorry for my sinful life. Repentance means turning around completely. It's a laying down of our lives. It's a dying to ourselves. You can pray something to Jesus in this way. Lord Jesus, I accept my sin. And I accept that you died for it. Lord, I choose to live my life for you. choose to live in a way that gives you glory thank you for accepting me as a child of God and bringing me into a relationship send your Holy Spirit now as a deposit as a security of my eternal inheritance of everlasting life life in all its fullness that's the life I choose to live this is the truth I choose to live in light of. For each of us who are already following Jesus, the ways we've been responding to this message this morning, we're going to sing together about our God who has all things at his disposal, our God who is mighty in power. He's unrivaled among all. No one is like him. And so we cry out, what can we bring? What can I give? I give my life as an offering to you. Let's sing together.